on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pal, Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and this is WWE Last Week, your weekly look back at the week that was in the WWE. Gonna get the house cleaning out of the way first. If you're finding me for the first time and you're on YouTube, you want to find me in an audio platform, go to all of your favorite audio platforms and search Spaz Phoenix Podcast. Also, go to Rumble and search Spaz Phoenix Podcast. If you're listening to me on an audio platform or on Rumble, you can find me on YouTube also by searching Spaz Phoenix. You can find uh, Spaz Phoenix and Spaz Phoenix with a one on uh, on Twitter. You can find Spaz Phoenix on Instagram, and you can find the Spaz Phoenix podcast Facebook group, obviously, on Facebook. I haven't uh, plugged the socials in a while, so we'll get that out of the way right away. And if you're wondering, yes, I saw Halloween Havoc. Yes, we are going to talk deeply about that at some point, but I'm probably going to throw it into this week's NXT review, so it won't, it won't impact too much on... Uh, on this week, because as you know, once NXT got good again, I separated it off into its own little thing, and WWE last week is about WWE at the end of the day, and I will say, there's two things happening right now. There's, here, have a plate of new things that we're going to start doing, and on the other side, there's also, yes, we're building towards Crown Jewel, and yes, when you mention Crown Jewel, you have to mention all the terrible things that come with Crown Jewel, and you, you can't say anything good about Crown Jewel, even if the show itself... The actual show, the actual wrestling program is good. You're not allowed to say that. Now, much like Halloween Havoc, I'm predicting that uh, that uh, Crown Jewel is going to be a lot more fun than good. But if it ends up being awesome, I'm going to say that it's awesome. Yes, it happened in unfortunate circumstances, I will say. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop it from being good. This is what I will say is the Benoit effect. And if you'll excuse me a little bit of a controversial uh, tangent for a moment, absolutely understand why they would eliminate Chris Benoit from the history of the WWE. Um, his condition, what he did, how he left this world, and all those types of things are something we absolutely don't want associated with wrestling whatsoever. 100% understand that. But when you think about it, when you think about how many other stars had their best matches with Chris Benoit, this deletion meant some of their best work never existing. And that is a downside. Now, it's not a downside enough for me to all of a sudden say, let's just forget what Chris Benoit did. That is absolutely not my point. But the deletion of Chris Benoit took significant bites out of the recorded careers of a lot of people. And that's, that's not to be too dramatic, but that's sort of what happens here. If you get a fantastic five-star, I mean, if they were still in WWE, if you had a hour-long iron match between Daniel Bryan and CM Punk that was you know, 10 stars in the Tokyo Dome, except not the Tokyo Dome, and it happened in Saudi Arabia, nobody would ever give it the credit that it deserves. Now, again, am I sitting here to defend uh, all the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on between WWE and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia? Of course not. I'm not an idiot. I'm aware. But it very much is a separate... It's not a separate the art from the artist thing. It's a separate the art and the artist from the politics thing. And if you guys aren't on board with me on that, I guess I get it, but be aware that this is my outlook going forward. So when I say I'm looking forward to Crown Jewel, I'm looking forward to Crown Jewel the show. I don't know if I can be any clearer than that. I've taken a lot of shit on, on Twitter the past couple of days for that take. But anyways, let's talk about Raw and SmackDown. Raw started with a cold open. It was Lashley mid-promo, which... 
I get what they're trying to do. It's it's a hectic thing. When uh, when Raw was in Toronto, they started, and uh, and Rollins and Riddle were mid brawl, and I think that we're even going back to watch it on TV after I got home from the show. I think that worked because yeah, you can have a fight in the back. I mean, just ask all the EVPs in AEW that decided to barge in on CM Punk. You can have something like that happening backstage that's not strictly within the context of the show. Somebody walking out, probably with their entrance music, grabbing a microphone and talking in front of the live crowd isn't as spontaneous. So I think coming in mid-promo on Lesnar, it didn't work the same way, but obviously Lesnar was there. They brawl, they brawl to the outside. There's a guardrail spear. They put each other through the commentary table. It breaks away. Uh, they do the... They do the, the graduated pull-apart thing, like the referees try to pull them apart, it doesn't work. The cops try to pull them apart, it doesn't work. They bring in the roster that finally pulls them apart, and it's fine. And then they do the table spot. And somewhere, I don't know whether it was announced beforehand on Twitter, or whether it was blurted out by one of the commentators during this opening segment, but it was confirmed, what we all already know, is that we're going to have Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley at Crown Jewel. Now, that's absolutely fine on a couple of levels, because it... It further cements that the that the move from last week's Raw was was good because it gives Rollins something to do. It gave Rollins a title. It gave Rollins a bit of thank you for uh, for all the losing that he's been doing recently. And I'm sorry, Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar doesn't need the United States Championship. It really doesn't. So that's something to look forward to at Crown Jewel if you can avoid all the other horribleness of the world. Blah 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 blah. The OC! And yes, they're still calling them the OC. I just, I wish they could just do the Good Brothers. Like, that'd be fine. Um, they have their first match back in WWE against Alpha Academy because it's Alpha Academy, and that's... Alpha Academy are the ones you bring out now when you want somebody else to have a really good match. They are the tag team equivalent of Dolph Ziggler, who we will talk about later, don't you worry. Uh, pretty bog-standard match. I will say I want to give a quick shout-out to one spot by Chad Gable, who came off the guardrail and hit a knee shot to the back of Anderson's head that sent Anderson's head right into the ring post, but... Uh, it's all for naught. Obviously, it's the OC's first match back in the WWE. Magic Killer gets the win. But the real story, here's the real quiz, as they say. Uh, Alpha Academy pretty much disappear off screen. And the OC and Styles are interrupted by Judgment Day. On the rampway, Balor mocks the two-suite. Mocks the, uh, you know, the quasi-Bullet Club reunion that's happening. Gives a little Bullet Club history lesson, because isn't he one of the ones that started it? I don't know. I don't watch New Japan moving swiftly on. And they put out their challenge. You say, oh, you want to fight us? You want to fight us? No, we're not going to fight you tonight. We're going to wait for a, a big stage like Crown Jewel. So yeah, we're going to get the three-on-three. Three. It's going to be Styles, Gallows, and Anderson versus Balor, Dominic, and Priest, which will be really good. Which will be really good. Dom, as like the obnoxious little brother of Judgment Day, grabs a mic, mocks mercilessly his dad, talks about successfully chasing his dad to SmackDown, um, he has a bit of back and forth between uh, AJ, who they keep calling Uncle Al for some reason. I, I, it's not creepy at all. Uh, and they set up AJ Styles versus Dominic Mysterio for later on in the night. Um, we then move on, if we haven't seen enough Lashley already, we replay Rollins defeating Lashley for the United States Championship last week. Rollins comes out to brag, he comes out to mock the fans and mention that, yeah, even if I'm out here mocking you and telling you to go screw yourselves, you're still going to sing my song and my United States Championship reign will be historic. He hypes up his match against Riddle and how he's going to destroy Riddle and that's going to be the beginning of this big U.S. title reign and he's interrupted by Mustafa Ali. 
which was one of those, hmm, stroke your chin, all right, interesting, interesting, comes out, congratulates him, and he says, uh, calls him out on the Lesnar assist, I was like, how come you, you didn't really mention that uh, you had a bit of help there, obviously Rollins, oh, I was, I was coming out of the cage match from the weekend, and rah 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 and, and Ali challenges him, and, and Seth, rightfully so, for what I think they're trying to do for Mustafa Ali, laughs him off. He says, you don't belong in the same ring as me. Now, don't take that the wrong way. You're a nice guy. You know, you're, you're friends with everybody in the back. You're a good dad. You're a good husband. And mid-compliment, blasts him in the face. <laughs> Ends it with a cheap shot and fucks off. As we go to commercial break, we see another very familiar car pull into the car park. And it is the big Longhorns on the limo. And JBL has arrived at Raw. What's JBL here to do? Oh my god, all the right people on Twitter got their feathers all ruffled. It was great. Then we come back and it's damage control taking on Candice LeRae and Bianca Belair. Now let me say something about this. First of all, Bailey on commentary. Always good. Um, the way this story played out was really strange and it really does back up what I've been saying about the obnoxious booking of Bianca Belair. I am not saying, let me be clear, I'm not saying Bianca Belair is obnoxious in and of herself, even though she is sometimes, but the booking is absolutely obnoxious. You know, two-on-one on Candice LeRae. Candice LeRae gets to play this absolutely helpless, you know, victim in peril type thing. Two-on-one on Bianca Belair, and Bianca Belair owns both of them, which isn't great considering they're your tag team champions. Not great at all. John Cena-esque booking. Uh, she turns her attention, brawls with Bailey on the outside. There's a double pump handle slam backbreaker thing on Candice, and newly, newly returned Candice LeRae loses to the tag team champions, to be fair, but because Bianca Belair walked away from the match to have a feud with Bailey on commentary. Not great. Not great at all. The the tag team champions get to win, so you didn't bury the tag team champions. That's good. Candice LeRae was left out there like a piece of meat on the hook. And Bianca Belair literally, through her actions, told you how seriously you should take this match. And that's not... That's not great. Damage control, get the win. That's never going to hurt my feelings. They're a great group. They're going underrated, and they're getting all kinds of flack that they shouldn't be getting. It's fine. Uh, in the back, we see Riddle. He's given Ali his props for stepping up to Seth Rollins tonight. He says, hey, after I beat Seth Rollins tonight, you'll be the first one I give a United States Championship shot to. Very nice, very respectful thing. And then they both walk by, and they find the Miz faking an injury. Supposedly, he slipped on a wet floor that a janitor had not put a sign up for, and he's messed up his knee and he can't possibly fight tonight because he's supposed to fight Dexter Loomis and Dexter Loomis is really scary except he hasn't really done anything and it's fine, moving on, moving on we go to the back where uh, Judgment Day are sort of, you know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you want to say talking about how great they all are and whatever and then Cora Jade from NXT walks in now this has all happened and the pay-per-view has already happened and we don't really need to talk about it too much but Cora Jade recruits Rhea Ripley to be Roxanne Perez's Pick Your Poison opponent on NXT. Now, if you want my full thoughts on that, the NXT review for last week is already up. You can check it out. Uh, Cole's Notes version of that is really, really, really awesome to see Rhea Ripley back in the ring. We know she was going through some, some physical stuff. And the character stuff that she's done, even while rehabbing whatever physical stuff she was dealing with has been great so really awesome to see her back in the ring interesting choice to have her make her in-ring return on nxt as opposed to on the main roster but god damn if bailey doesn't take that title off bel-air it should be rhea ripley because not only does she fucking deserve it not only is it long overdue but judgment day need to pick up 
something. They need to pick up something tangible. And Rhea Ripley, sort of, I hate that they're saying it like this, but being the mommy of the group, uh, being the first one to pick up gold, would be a nice, interesting little touch. Obviously, Cora Jade and Rhea Ripley being friends because they're both snarky dickheads also works quite well. JBL comes out to make his big announcement. First of all, he celebrates Ray being sent to SmackDown. I love long-term storytelling JBL because to this day he still hates Ray Mysterio. That's fucking great. He introduces Corbin to Raw. Not Happy Corbin, not Sad Mopey Corbin, not King Corbin or General Manager Corbin or anything else. Baron Corbin in the worst wrestling gear you could possibly imagine. It looks like black and poo colored. Uh, if, if you guys have seen it, you guys already know. Somebody did a side-by-side -side and showed that it was similar to an old uh, ring attire that Nyla Rose used to have, and I'm just like, uh, I'm leaving that one alone. 100% leaving that one alone. They randomly start shit-talking Dolph Ziggler, and then you very quickly come around to the idea that Ziggler is the opponent tonight. Uh, so we've got match versus, sorry, with uh, the newly returned Baron Corbin, fresh to Monday Night Raw. JBL has apparently arranged this trade, even though the Mysterio going to SmackDown thing had already happened. So whatever it is, what it is. If he's going to be a talking piece for Baron Corbin, fucking great. Get JBL back on my TV. If he's going to be on commentary while uh, Corbin has matches, that'll also be good. You could have a William Regal-esque thing where Regal's out on commentary every time any one of his guys has a match. JBL's got one guy. You can put him on commentary for all the Corbin matches and and bop him up. And the way he, the way Corbin tips his fedora the same way that JBL tips his cowboy hat to the crowd is is a nice, neat little touch. Um, the Deep Six and the End of Days are both really wicked finishing maneuvers, and you want somebody like Dolph Ziggler to sell those awesome finishing maneuvers if this is the brand new, and I'm saying this in tight air quotes even though you can't see it, it's an audio platform, the brand new signing for Raw, you want to sell those finishers, if nothing else. And I mean, character aside, Baron Corbin has done everything WWE has ever asked him to do. They've made him look like the biggest dope. Uh, when he was the lone wolf in NXT, he could have just stayed that. He could have just stayed that. But no, they made him a loser when they brought him up to the main roster, then they made him the GM for a while, and then they blamed him for the bad ratings. And then they made him sad, poor Corbin, and then they... Or, sorry, he was King Corbin, which the king thing always dies. Uh, then he was, like, sad, poor, like, almost out of work Corbin begging everybody for money while insulting them. Uh, and then he was happy Corbin because he won all his money back, and the whole Mad Cat Moss thing happened. And, like, literally everything, every situation WWE has put him in has has shaded the fact that the guy can actually go in the ring. It might not be the style that you like. It might not be... 27 Canadian destroyers off the top of a cage onto thumbtacks in your shoes or whatever, but he's like a w he's a WWE style guy. He is, in a weird way, he is the success story of NXT. But that's that's not a great ringing endorsement, is it? Anyways, Miz is in the back in the medical area, and Byron Saxton basically comes out to be a dickhead and unravel his entire story and say, you know, there's no janitorial staff out there today. The last time those floors were wiped was like three days ago, and several wrestlers that I've spoken to have said they saw you spilling the water, which means that Miz actually spilled the water and actually made himself fall down to get the injury, etc., etc., etc. Then off screen you hear, oh my God, it's. Dexter Loomis, and it's obviously Johnny Gargano in the doorway. Miz jumps off 
obviously shows off the fake leg and then tries to brush it off as his superior DNA, which is fucking great. Love them is. Uh, we flip over to another backstage segment, which is MVP in the back with almost uh, promising that they're going to be on SmackDown this week and there's going to be a face to face between Strowman and Omos because monsters aren't real and giants are. Okay. Then we replay the promo from Bray Wyatt from last week on SmackDown where he's being like the real him, the real Rotunda or whatever we're calling it and gets interrupted by the mask. My thoughts on that are on last week's episode. If you want to go check that out, please do. And then. Uh, Cameron Grimes, also building towards uh, last week's episode of NXT, comes in and he recruits the Good Brothers for to face to sorry to team with him to face the schism. It's fine, don't worry about it. Uh, also, ended up being really fun. Again, go back to my last week's episode of NXT review, and you can get my further thoughts on that. Cameron Grimes just didn't look out of place on the main roster. I'll say that, kind of like Roxanne Perez previously on SmackDown. I'll say it. I'll say. Uh, I said it in my preview for uh, Halloween Havoc, and I'll say it here too. It's really good to hear uh, a lot of people on SmackDown, specifically who saw Roxanne Perez's performance in that six-woman tag were really impressed and are hopefully fast-tracking her to SmackDown. Always nice to hear. AJ Styles versus Dominic Mysterio. Comically, everybody is out at ringside. Also, comically one-sided because one half of the ring is a, you know, a tenured veteran wrestler and the other side is fucking Dominic Mysterio. Dominic Mysterio gets booed through the roof when he goes for the three amigos. Uh, he charges for the 619 and misses and it turns into a calf crusher by AJ Styles. Um... It's all going AJ's way until Rhea obviously trips him on the outside. And Dominic Mysterio, let me say this, let me say this like it's a news headline. R Dominic Mysterio upsets AJ fucking Styles. Nice, really nice setup um, for the six man at Crown Jewel. Going up the rampway, you see them all like hugging Dominic and congratulating him, whatever. And he absolutely has the look plastered across his face of the cat that just got the canary. It's all good. Gargano comes across The Miz as he's going out to face Dexter Loomis, and he says, hey, all you gotta do, if you want Dexter to leave you alone, is just, just tell the truth, man. Just tell the truth. So Miz has clearly done something. We don't know what it is, but that's fine, it's cool, whatever. Dexter Loomis, who's fighting for a contract on Raw, gets an entrance, gets a Titantron, gets his entrance music, gets a full ring announcement, which is... A plot hole, yeah, but it's another case of that's just what wrestling does. The match doesn't happen because Miz destroys him with a chair during his entrance and then gives him a skull-crushing finale on the chair, on the ramp. Match doesn't happen, Miz fucks off, it's fine. Bailey calls out Bianca Belair for next week on Raw, which is tonight as you guys are listening to this. Um, I still don't know 100% because people have said it both ways. I don't know whether this is a title match, a contenders match, a uh, qualifying match. I don't think that they'll push Bailey and Belair to Crown Jewel, but we will have to see how that goes. We then got the return of Elias, who came to the ring looking all very Elias-y, talked about how his brother Ezekiel's career was cut short. Uh, he's got two guitars behind him, but tonight he wants to do something a little different. He wants to uh, play something for us on the piano. He's interrupted by Riddle, and immediately I thought, I'm like, okay, if Riddle comes out and interrupts him and he freaks out and we get Elias back, who the crowd want, but they immediately turn him heel, that's going to be a miss. Riddle comes out with bongos and he says, do you want to hit my bong? I'm like, all right. 
that's a joke for the people that are going to laugh at it. That's a comment for the people that are going to hate it, to hate on it some more. And he says, maybe not tonight. Maybe just uh, enjoy enjoy what I've got to do. And he starts playing, he starts playing, he starts playing. And immediately he's interrupted by Rollins as he's about to start singing, which is absolutely fine because that's our main event. It's Rollins versus Riddle for the United States Championship. Huge, I will say, huge missed opportunity for them to not have Kevin Owens involved in this in any way. When Elias started talking about how his brother Ezekiel was injured and had his career cut short, I really needed a Kevin Owens meltdown at that point. Kevin Owens was on SmackDown, or sorry, on NXT last week, so he is around, so that was a missed opportunity, I will say. Um, Elias stays at ringside, he gets shoved by Rollins at one point, he hits him back with a knee strike. There's a top rope reverse suplex by Rollins, and a roll through into a reverse DDT. Um, sort of an inverted version of that superplex into the Falcon Arrow that he typically does. Um, super kick to Elias on the outside, whereas Elias tries to get back in to, uh, to retort to the super kick. There's a distraction uh, caused by Elias. Rollins gets the win, stomp to Riddle, stomp to Elias, and out comes, one more time, Mustafa Ali to attack Riddle and chase him out of the arena as we go off the air. The triumphant face that you see at the end of the show, the triumphant face that ended the show on Monday was that of Mustafa Ali. So very, very cool. Very long overdue, I will say, but if they're going to do something with him now, then they're going to do something with him now. That's very cool. So... What do we have? We added two more matches to Crown Jewel, which is nice. We've got a brand new repackaged um, Baron Corbin. We've got a brand new reinvigorated push behind Mustafa Ali. We've got Seth Rollins as our champion. We've done something, I guess, with the Miz Dexter Loomis stuff. It's, it's all good, and the OC had their comeback match tonight. So, very, very, you know... You want to say that Raw is three hours and it's too long and right, 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 and I definitely agree with you, don't get me wrong, but they established a lot in those in those three hours. A lot of it was structural, and you guys hear me say this a lot, a lot of it was structural, a lot of it was just putting down, putting down the floor plan for what's to come, not a lot blew off tonight, which is fine, but... Uh, yeah, if we're setting the scene, if we're setting the stage, we're setting towards Crown Jewel, but also in the back of your mind, you got to think they're also building towards Survivor Series and War Games as well. A little bit of structural, a little bit of uh, productive type of uh, programming isn't the worst thing in the world. Over on SmackDown, really fun show, in my personal opinion. Great sort of layup to the Halloween Havoc show, for those of you out there that watch the Halloween Havoc show. Um... Started off with Sheamus versus Solo Sokoa, and pretty simple, you got two brawlers that have a bone to pick with each other after the Fatal 4-Way last week. Fatal 4-Way last week turned into a two, yeah, turned into a one-on-one -on -one between uh, Rey Mysterio and Ricochet when Sheamus and Solo and their respective factions were all going at it on the outside. Now that was really cool, because I mean, we got a fireworks show at the end of that match between Ricochet and Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio obviously winning his uh, championship opportunity. I'm using the Simon Miller wavy hands because we're using WWE terminology. But it's a good excuse to have these two guys that are brawlers go at it. It's a good excuse to have these two factions, other than Roman Reigns, um, on the outside. So on the outside, you've got the Usos, you've got Sami Zayn, you've got 
Butch and you got Ridge Holland while Seamus and Soliskoa beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. They made a story out of Seamus' shoulder nice and early, and it was exacerbated by uh, Soliskoa going up to the second rope for an avalanche Samoan drop that didn't drop him on his back, dropped him on his side, dropped him on that bad shoulder. There's faction nonsense on the outside, is what I've put in my notes, because I was tired when I wrote them. And I think Solo got the win, but it's almost not the point. Uh, they take out Butch, they take out Ridge, and then there's a four-on-one beatdown on Sheamus. They pin him, they pin his arm against the steel steps in a chair and pilmanize it with another chair. So you leave the opening segment with all four members of the Bloodline and not even any real hostility between Jay and Sammy in the early going. Just the four of them, you know standing tall over a hard hitter like Sheamus is a big it's a big trophy for the bloodline I guess you could say it's like they're silently saying hey Roman did we do good look at us did we look good um but it was what it was and Sheamus doesn't lose anything from this because it was kind of a schmoz and the bloodline are literally taking over everything Sheamus is a nice little little trophy for them I suppose uh, in the back, we have Bray Wyatt, and here's where we start getting controversial, and here's where the people that don't want to like it will start not liking it. He basically continues his promo from last week. He's, you know, sorry for the interruption. I really wanted to thank everybody. It was kind of weird that they had his new entrance music, which is, again, by Code Orange, I think. I think the song's called Shatter, or Shatter Me, or something like that. I like it. I think it's good. Um, but he ends off the promo with saying, I, I had to finally realize that I'm a servant, and I go where the circle tells me. Now, later on in the night, there's more of this, but I think it, we've all used the terminology of the, 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 uh, the Wyndham Six, the Wyatt Six, whatever, but if whatever that Six is within WWE is going to be referred to as the Circle, I, uh, it's kind of cool, because you, you get, like, obviously, without the AEW context, there is terminology surrounding the inner circle, keep your circle nice and tight, keep your friends close, your enemies closer, those type of uh, metaphors that go along with, you know, calling your group the circle. Um, but also, it made me think a little bit, because if Bray Wyatt is sort of feuding with whatever this other element is, and he's doubting himself, and he's talking about all his, his fragilities and all that kind of thing... Who's the right type of person that could absolutely manipulate somebody in that situation? He's in NXT right now. And I just thought, whatever this is, it's going to be Bray Wyatt versus himself. But in the process, would you not see a more or less unknown to the main roster, Joe Gacy, try to manipulate Bray Wyatt. Am I crazy in thinking that that's something that could very much happen? He sees um, he sees Bray Wyatt, who is a big name, who the fans all love, tormented by you know literal and figurative demons. They say, "Oh, come, come, you know, find a safe space with us in this schism." <laughs> I think that that could be really great. And then the other masked character comes in and absolutely kills Joe Gacy, and it's fine because he's an SJW and uh, SJW character do what SJW character do. Um, but anyways, that was a very short backstage thing. The music thing was cool. The sound wasn't done very well, so sometimes the lyrics were sort of going over what he was saying. That could be done better, but in theory, it's all good. In the back, the Bloodline are celebrating the way that they took out Seamus tonight. Uh, it's 
it's revealed by commentary later on that he has a non-fracture fracture of his arm. I don't know what the fuck that means, but it's it's fictional at the end of the day. And Jey Uso is getting all hyped up. It's like, oh, we're not done tonight. We're not done tonight. We gotta we gotta take out Logan Paul and send a message because he's gonna be here later tonight. And Sammy says to him, "Look, Roman, Roman uh, called me earlier today. We gotta leave him alone." We can't answer anything he says, anything he does. Which kind of makes sense, because if there's absolutely no response to Logan Paul, then it shows how little Roman thinks of him, or how little a threat he sees him as, which is absolutely cool. The fact that the message is delivered through Sami Zayn, obviously uh, pushes that story forward. Jey Uso kind of leaves saying, we'll see, we'll see. Um... But everybody else, the, the the whole idea that the whole time they're talking, Jimmy and Solo are like, yeah, he's probably right. He's probably right. Yep, he's probably right. You know, boss says no, we don't do it. Okay, fine, cool. Liv Morgan versus Sonya Deville was a lot of fun for me for a lot of reasons. Liv Morgan's going crazy. Liv Morgan is becoming the hardcore character. Now, it's interesting that it's Liv Morgan because you've got somebody like... Kaylee Ray in NXT, who's really good at hardcore matches, if you look her up elsewhere, and you've got Shotzi Blackheart, who's on the record as saying she wants to be the one to bring hardcore wrestling back to women's wrestling in the WWE, and those are both fine. I hope they both happen. I hope you guys know I got lots of love for Shotzi Blackheart. Kaylee Ray is getting up there in my books as well, but I look at Liv Morgan and what they're doing with her and like the fact that they're making her into like sort of like this hardcore character, and it's like, well, why not? Like, she's gone through, and she's been, like, as as you follow the story, she's this person that has this great fan following, but as far as, like, her workplace, she's always been doubted, she's always been called a fluke, she's been absolutely brutalized by the likes of, you know, Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey, and why wouldn't you have a thought of, like, I need to unlock some other, like, and no, I'm not saying it's immediately going to be part of the Wyatt thing, don't get me wrong. But why would you not unlock some other more dangerous, more violent part of yourself because you look at yourself and be like, look, if I don't do this, I'm going to keep getting my ass handed to me. Like, it does make sense. And if you're going to do a hardcore, like, what is there to say that she couldn't be the hardcore chick in WWE? So I, the people that are like immediately against this, I got to question you a little bit. Again, on the other side of the coin, you guys know what I'm going to say. Sonya Deville doesn't get used nearly enough. The way she was highlighted on NXT for a little bit there as possibly being part of Toxic Attraction was really cool, but I don't think they're going anywhere with that now that Mandy Rose is back. And uh, just nice to see her on TV. Just nice to see her being used. <laughs> and she was really good. Stiff shots from Sonya Deville in this match as well. Um, they... Uh, they get counted out, they brawl to the outside, and Liv is just ragdolling her around the outside of the ringside area. They get counted out, but uh, not to be outdone, Liv Morgan gets back in the ring, fills the ring with chairs, and then hits a uh, avalanche superplex onto the pile of chairs to end the segment. Very nice, just a little, well, I couldn't pin you, but here's something I can do that would have pinned you. Interesting little little bit there. She wants she's more focused on the violence than she is on winning or losing the match, which isn't always the greatest thing in the world, but it is what it is. Next up, it was video package time. We had a video package on LA Knight, which is basically highlights of him from NXT and more like, hey, this is what you can expect from this guy. And another video around the campfire uh, about the Viking Raiders doing Viking Raider stuff. It's obviously voiced over by Sarah Logan. She's obviously, hopefully, going to be part of the... 
I hate to say it like this, but part of the package when she comes back to, uh, or sorry, when they come back to SmackDown, I hope she's not just there at the ringside area, like, while they have matches. I hope she gets back in the ring. Like, I know they just had a kid not too long ago, and she was released, and those two things sort of went hand-in-hand hand and all that kind of thing, but Sarah Logan... Like, I don't think Sarah Logan's going to set the world on fire, but she's more than capable, and you don't get better unless you keep doing what you're doing, is is a super simplistic way to put it, but it's fine. And, and, I don't want to get political here, I really don't. It's very, very strange, people that are saying, oh, she shouldn't have a career because I don't agree with her politically. She voted for the other guy, so therefore she doesn't deserve to earn a living. That's fucked up. Stop doing it. Um, the other side of the coin is, too, and where I can get, like, wrestling political, is they're giving a push to Liv Morgan. They could give a push to Sarah Logan. And when the time is right, you could bring back the third part of the Riot Squad, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all, because they ain't doing fuck all with Ruby Soho in AEW. I'm sorry. Like, there are some people that are, like, questionable... Uh, I will say, a where AEW got a bit of flack, and I don't get it, and I will stand up for AEW, because I believe AEW are right in this case, there was the match between in Toronto between uh, Athena and Jody Threat, who is somebody who I'm familiar with, because yes, I've seen her at Destiny, check it off, she's best Phoenix bucket list. Oh, they, they wrestled a really, really dangerous style, and this is why AEW is terrible. They just had a really stiff match, and it was good from what I've seen. I haven't watched the whole match beginning to end, I'm not going to lie. But this is one of those cases where I will stick up for AEW, because I don't think anything wrong happened here. But where I will not stick up for AEW in the slightest is they have absolutely missed the boat on capitalizing on picking up Ruby Soho as a new talent for their company. Now, I would love, don't get me wrong, I would love it if we could get Ember, Ember Moon back to WWE as well, but Ruby Soho, where is she used other than maybe Dark, which I don't watch because the wrestling company shouldn't give you homework. Um, so there is a little bit of a... They said when uh, when Cody Rhodes came back to WWE, they said, you know what, they better treat him really good because it might bait some other people into crossing over. If you treat two-thirds of the Riot Squad really, really well, they tried to give Liv Morgan a push, they're still trying to keep her in the conversation, if they bring in Sarah Logan and treat her the same way, maybe maybe give her a little bit of a chance to show what she can do that she didn't get before, maybe they start luring the other one over, maybe that happens. I'm not saying do anything shady, I'm not saying, oh, WWE is tampering. Why? Because they made themselves look like a good place to work. Um, but yeah, anyways, that was a video package for the Viking Raiders that was obviously no, uh, narrated by Sarah Logan, who should be able to have a job even if you don't agree with the person that she voted for because it has nothing to do with wrestling, and I would like to see her wrestle, and I would like to see Ruby Soho come back. That's where that's where we go from there. Omos and Strowman have a face-to-face. -face. Strowman comes out and basically says to the world, like, look at me. Who's going to fuck with me? MVP comes out and gives him his props and just says, you know, same thing that he said on Monday. Basically, you're, you're a monster, but monsters aren't real. Giants are real. Omos comes down to the ring and chucks Strowman out of the ring, which as a visual is pretty impactful. They basically solidify the challenge for Crown Jewel, and it wasn't any more than what it needed to be. Drew McIntyre is getting interviewed in the back about the car accident last week. He said, yeah, you know, I had to go to WWE corporate and uh, they gave me... They gave me a little bit of a bollocking, you know, and uh, if I don't, uh, you know, if we don't behave ourselves, there's going to be further repercussions and all very, very vague, very, very vague. But we all did uh, uh, agree 
that this issue between me and Karrion Cross has to end, and it's going to end at Crown Jewel in a fucking cage match, which is going to be awesome. Um, damage Control versus Shotzi and Raquel. Uh, damage Control retain. It's not much to write home about, but if you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen my my little theory about what's going on right now, is when you have a tag team, especially within a bigger group, like you see the bloodline, and yes, I'm going to use bloodline as the example, within the bloodline, you can always tell that Jay and Jimmy are the tag team, not only because they're twins, not only because they're brothers, not only because they're champions, but they they dress alike, they look alike, their styles are alike, and whatever. So, the whole superficial thing of dress like a team does matter. Now, look at what's happening right now. The current, current whatever you want to call them, apparently they're getting new belts soon, but the current WWE Women's Tag Team Championships are white, gold, and a little bit of black. Dakota Kai and Io Sky are both from NXT, who now, in this current iteration, are white, gold, and black. So what do they do? They come out in matching ring gear as a team that is white, gold, and black. I think that's fucking brilliant, personally. They get a win uh, because Bailey was fucking around, and... It just, it is what it is. I mean, Shotzi and Raquel are great, but they're, it is the story of, hey, here's a team. Here's two singles people trying to be a team. Uh, I don't know what the story is with Aaliyah. Apparently, she's injured and Shotzi was brought in in a pinch. So I don't know whether the actual tag team victory may come when Aaliyah comes back, because I would love to see Shotzi branch off as a singles something. Once they realized how stupid it was making her a heel, they almost immediately threw her into this team with Raquel Rodriguez, which I don't. I like both of them, but they don't work as a team. They're two individuals. It would be like, I like The Rock, I like CM Punk. I don't necessarily need to see them as tag team champions. It's it's that kind of situation. Uh, Ronda Rousey gets asked if she's going to do an open challenge uh, on SmackDown for the Women's Championship. She says, no, I do the, tag, the open challenges when I want to, which is why I'm going to stand here right now and advertise that I'm doing an open challenge next week. I really... I really do hope that this pops off into Ronda Rousey versus uh, Shayna Baszler. I think it would be really good. I think even if we do it in Saudi Arabia, I think that's a huge crowd to do it in front of. And yes, it's not the greatest and blah, 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 and all the things we've just said. But they are, for better or for worse, they are featuring women's wrestling on the Saudi shows now, which wasn't happening at the beginning. So say what you will. Then we go to the back and we see a bunch of like sketchy static and, and the, the mask from Bray Wyatt's return. And then it's not a mask anymore. It's just a really close up of some dude's face with the with the with the twisted mustache, whatever you want to call it, like the Waluigi uh, Disney villain pointy mustache. And he just says, well, howdy. And that's it. And it cuts out. Now, apparently there's a character coming along called Uncle Howdy that is supposed to be a tribute to Luke Harper. I don't quite understand that, but it is what it is. But this is going to be like the overarching villainous persona of of uh, Bray Wyatt. Apparently Vincent, who I know from Honor No More, when Honor No More came to Impact, apparently Vincent is involved in this in some capacity, which is fine, I guess. I don't really know what he can contribute to the to the goings-on, but I'm, I'm willing to t have a look at it. But this is... It's a slow build, and people are, are already looking to cut it apart when you don't even know what it is yet. 
So, it's very, very strange. Very, very, very strange. Uh, Legato del Fantasma are in the back, in the lounge, the same way they used to be in NXT, and they introduced the new... This is important. They introduced the newest member of Legato del Fantasma, uh, Zelina Vega. Now, everybody, when they debuted on the main roster, they all freaked out because this isn't Legato because Legato had Electra Lopez and they just, they must think we're dumb that, you know, they can just swap out the women and we wouldn't notice. No, they're like, no, this is a brand new addition to the group. Here she is. She's awesome. She's going to help us be awesome and, you know, cheers all around and they take a few stabs at Hit Row and then they immediately go to a shot of Hit Row watching the promo and... I say, well, you know, these guys always play the numbers game, but BFAB has a plan for next week. And then eventually, later on in the show, we do find out that it is all three members of Legato del Fantasma. So we're going to get Santos Escobar's in-ring debut. Um, but it's all three members of Legato del Fantasma versus Hit Row and a mystery person. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people, I've seen this flying around a lot on Twitter, a lot of people are thinking that this is going to be Xavier Woods, because there's been a lot of pictures of Xavier Woods and Zelina Vega floating around from when they became king and queen of the ring. That's a really loose thread to pull, but also the king and the queen of the ring were crowned at the last Saudi Arabia show, and the Saudi Arabia show coming up is what we're advertising right now, so... That's not out of the realm of possibility. I would love this. If, if, if AEW wasn't a thing, and if I didn't know that Swerve was like fully contracted over there, I would say this would be where you introduce Swerve Scott, and then like Hit Row is complete, so to speak. But I don't know who this is going to be. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking it's just going to be somebody fun. Maybe maybe one of the New Day, who they've interacted with already. Maybe one of the Street Profits, who they've already interacted with. Um, there's a part of me that thinks it might be Ricochet, because that'd be a lot of fun. Santos Escobar and Ricochet getting in the same ring together would be interesting. But uh, I don't know. Let me know down in the box below. We've got five days till Friday, and uh, a lot of time to sort of speculate as to who we think Hit Row's third member for that six-man tag will be. Rey Mysterio versus Ludwig Kaiser was not much to write home about, I'm not going to lie. It's obviously building towards uh, Rey Mysterio versus Gunther, which, to set people's mind at ease, is in fact not happening at Crown Jewel. It's actually happening two weeks from now on that episode of SmackDown. So it'll be the SmackDown after Crown Jewel, which is fine. I'm sure one or both of them have a pretty strong opinion about the Crown Jewel and the surrounding uh, the surrounding issues and whatnot. Um... But Gunther and Vinci are on the outside trying to double-team Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio throws a chair at Gunther. He swats it away. It hits the ground. The referee's not looking. Rey Mysterio does the Eddie Guerrero fake-out and gets Gunther and Vinci removed from ringside. And because Rey Mysterio's the one building to a title shot, he gets the obvious win over the lower member of the persons. They're doing... They are doing factions. WWE are doing factions. Factions are a good thing, whatever. But they're... They're getting into a bit of the AEW trap of like, oh, here's guy A from this group and guy A from this group, and we need to promote the the match that they have coming up at the pay-per-view. So let's have guy A from this group fight guy Z from this group like that's at all a competitive match and not pretend that the outcome is is pretty obvious. I mean, it's, it's fine. Like, Ludwig Kaiser in the ring is great, 
don't get me wrong. Um, Rey Mysterio is Rey Mysterio, and there's not much else needs to be said about that. But, like, my notes just say Rey gets the obvious win after the distractions are removed. Now, are they going to do some kind of stipulation in two weeks where Kaiser and Vinci are not allowed at ringside, and it's going to be Rey versus Gunther one-on-one? -on -one? Because that's still, like, one-on-one-and-a-half, <laughs> if you look at the two of them. Um, I will say... Uh, earlier, we had the face-to-face -face between uh, between Strowman and Omas, and Strowman is silly big and makes everybody else look tiny, and then Omas makes <laughs> Omas makes Strowman look small <coughs> because he's silly big. Excuse me. <coughs> uh, talking too fast for my own good. And the closing segment was sort of by the numbers. Logan Paul comes out, he makes a whole lot of jokes about, like, talking to the hard cam. He's like, I don't want to talk to the hard cam, I'm going to talk to the people here in Oklahoma, or wherever the hell they were. It's Oklahoma something, Iowa something. I don't know, I didn't write it down. But he made a whole lot of bad hard cam jokes, and then he just, he dug down twice as hard on this whole idea of, you know what, Roman's way better than me. I can win because I'm going to get in one lucky shot. He absolutely gets murdered by Jey Uso, um, who gets called off by Sammy and then uses the distraction of Sammy to get in his one lucky shot on uh, on Jay. Knocks Jay out, leaves him on his flat on his back in the middle of the ring, and he gets to walk away victorious, I guess. Sami Zayn, who, don't forget, has been put in charge of Jay by Roman, is sort of looking there all dejected at ringside like his entire world is falling apart. And Logan Paul stands tall at the end of the, at the, end of the night. I, that was a rhyme that was not intended. But yeah, so next week, next week's alright. Uh, we got Bailey versus Bel Air, which... I don't know whether it's for the title or not. Uh, on SmackDown, we've got Ronda Rousey doing an open challenge. I really hope that's Shayna Baszler. Uh, Legato versus Hit Row and a mystery tag team partner is always fun. I'm going to vote for Ricochet. I'm probably going to be wrong. Um, Rey Mysterio and Gunther are fighting in two weeks, so I assume that next week Rey will fight Vinci to sort of build that match up, and it will have another predictable outcome, but that's fine. That's how these stories build. And... Like it or not, Crown Jewel is on the horizon. Right now we have Omos versus Braun Strowman, which will be fun. Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross in a steel cage. Lashley versus Lesnar. The Judgment Day versus The O.C. And Logan Paul versus Roman Reigns for the undisputed galactic WWE Universal Worldwide Championship. It's not too shabby, you know. It's not too shabby. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm leaving the elephant in the room. I'm not mentioning uh, Halloween Havoc because I am going to talk about that during my... During my NXT review this week, but Halloween Havoc was a lot of fun too. Again, like I said in the preview, not five-star wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. We're not rewriting Shakespeare. It was just a fun show, and wrestling's allowed to be fun. I'm just putting it out there. Um, I think one of the coolest things to come out of this week is the potential of not only a push for Mustafa Ali, but a push for Mustafa Ali against Seth Rollins in the United States Championship. Um, that and... Baron Corbin coming back with JBL as his manager, which will be awesome. And the Crown Jewel show will continue to build where everybody on Twitter will say, how dare this wrestling promotion promote their show. I don't know. Like I say, very structural, very, very building block type of week 
for WWE, the way that they incorporated both uh, the Raw and the SmackDown roster into NXT's promotion, not only for that one week that AEW was counter-programming them, but also to help push forward into... Uh, into the Halloween Havoc show was also a little neat, a little bit different. Nice to see different people on different uh, various stages of of WWE. So we're doing some cool stuff. We kind of feel like, uh, man, I hate this expression, but it works in this case. Kind of feel like Duck on the Pond. Very, very calm. Doesn't really look like much is happening, but underneath the water, the feet are just kicking away. That's probably one of the worst metaphors I'm going to use on this entire podcast, so I should stop right now. That's the, that's it. That's the end. I have no catchy, cheesy way to end off the podcast, other than to say I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later, but for right now, I am tagging it. Bye, guys.